I was on the plane coming back. I think I had to go um, up to Byron Bay for work and I was, it was early. I was like seven weeks or something when I was in Byron. And on the plane coming back, I actually texted and I was like, I have never felt, I, I really feel like this is what true happiness is. I feel like the happiest, like I can't get any happier. So I think the plane might crash. Um, I think like I've actually reached, like I've got everything I've ever wanted. So I think I'm going to die now. So I love you. And um, if I land, <laughs> I'll call you. And he's just like, you're a fucking psycho. But that, when you've gone through the loss of that, when I was so happy, it just made me so scared. So I didn't publicly announce I was pregnant until I was like 20 weeks. My mum's like, come on, man. I want to tell everyone I'm going to be a grand. I was like, I'm not ready, mum. And I was like, you set yourself these little milestones. Well, I don't know if you do, but I did anyway. You said, like, you've got your 12 weeks. Well, I had early scans, so I was like, eight weeks. Okay, eight weeks. I'll get to eight weeks. Then you get to eight weeks, and you're like, oh, 12 weeks. Then you're like, oh, I've got to get to 12 weeks. And you're like, oh, 20 weeks. I'll get to the 20 week scan, and then I'll start to relax uh-uh, the whole way through. And then the stage that you're at now, I was the exact same. You're like, oh my God, I've not felt the baby move. I'd phone Steve, and I'd be like, oh my God. I've not felt the baby move. Or if we had we had, if we had sex, I'd be like, oh my God, we've hit the baby. It's not, it's not, that was a bit rough. We've, like, it's not moving. Oh my God. And then he would put that fuck and I'd lie and I'd be like, oh my God, it's not moving. I'm like, go down and talk to the baby. I'd shout at my stomach. And then I'm like, oh, it's okay. It's good. But then it's like, there's, it's just one thing after the other. And I think you're just so fucking happy and grateful that you're so scared that something's going to take it away. I'm Alison Rice and welcome to Offline, the podcast. These are honest conversations about true self with the people behind the Instagram accounts and the teachers who help us on our way. A lot has changed since I launched Offline in 2018. It started as a podcast and thanks to your ongoing support, it's turned into a bit of a movement. Today, Offline exists to help us explore the essence of who we are, our true self, and how to live, create, and succeed from that place. If you need help making contact with your unique purpose, or maybe you're ready for a conscious career change and need some advice, I encourage you to explore my online learning opportunities at getoffline.co forward slash study. You can also follow getoffline.co on Instagram and me, I'm Alison Larson Rice. I hope this episode helps you on your way. Thank you for being here. I feel like this conversation is full season six energy, unbounded, unscripted, and real. As a podcaster, you get told how long episodes are supposed to be. But I'm done with that. Here's to just letting things be as they are. Melbourne-based artist, mother and wife, Robin Clark and I spoke for nearly two hours. And honestly, I think every minute of it is worth your time. Why? because it's important that we hear what a truly empowered woman sounds like without the filter and the controlled messaging. It's only the entire reason I started offline in the first place. You might know Robin better as Bobby. 
her minimalist abstract paintings are hanging on the walls of some of the country's most stylish homes. She's also a supremely talented photographer, wife to sculptor Stephen Clark, and mum to little James. We hope you love this episode, and honestly, I feel like we left no stone unturned. We talk about boobs and bodies, pregnancy and pregnancy loss, sex after birth, how she deals with judgment from strangers on Instagram, therapy, love, the art world. It's all here. Here's the absolutely magic Bobby Clark and I for Offline. P.S. If you don't know already, Tony and I are having a little baby. By the time you're hearing this, she might even be with us already. I am obviously such a big fan of yours and I'll tell you about all the reasons why as we go through. So I thank you for saying yes and I knew, yeah, before I even asked you that we would have like a very casual conversation, which I think in a good way, yeah, which I, I think is already this. happening. Oh, honestly, I can't even believe you asked me on this. I said to Steve, I was like, I can't believe this, like offline. Yeah, I was like, I can't believe she's asked me. Like offline's like one of my favorite podcasts. I was like, the lineup of people that have been on there, I can't even believe I'm going to be sitting next to some of those names. Like it's just insane. It's very surreal. Yeah. Oh my god, you are, um, you know, someone we love to follow on Instagram. That's the brief of the podcast. I'm glad that people still are tuned in after my baby spam because I'm like, before I had James, I was like, I'm not going to be that person, and I am. I'm knee deep in that person. <laughs> like I can't, I can't not. I'm an oversharer by nature. I wanted to ask you about that. Have you thought about, um, have you thought about how you share in a strategic way or not? Because I guess like for your brand and your art, or if you just do. kind of let it go and just go. I never do. Well, and it all happened by accident. I just, I'm an oversharer by nature. I love taking photos and that's just the way I am naturally I don't plan I haven't planned anything I've done it's just kind of happened so there was a point before I had James towards the end I was like I don't know if I really want to have him on social media but then I'm like do you know what I tried to start a a private one after a few dodgy comments from really horrible people and then I was like do you know what if I'm comfortable doing it then if anyone else has a problem with it don't look Mm. It's Why really do they torture themselves? I know. Like, just if it's if something's that annoying, it really is as simple as don't look and mm. don't reach out and give negative feedback to someone who's not asked you. So, I I need to remind myself, which is hard, that if people don't like it, they it's, it's not my fault. And I can't. So you were telling me you. your strategy is block and delete. I try to if they get me on a there is days where I'm exhausted and I've had a really I mean it's fucking COVID this year's been an absolute shitter there's days Mm. where I've been having a really really bad day and it's as if like they know and I've got a really bad message and it has almost it, it broke me and I've just not been able to have that composure and just been able to separate myself and rationalize it and go okay 
it's not me, it's them. And I've retaliated quite heavily. (laughs) So what sort of messages do they send you? Like, what do they say? Well, I think the most recent one was actually... And I'm probably going to need to mention stuff that I've never mentioned before, and I'm going to try and say it in a way that's not, like, dramatic, because we can talk about that another time. But um, I'm really quite strict on how I want to bring James up. Like, growing up in Scotland, everyone's heavy-handed. It's it's not unusual to get smacked back home. So Mm -hmm. I did grow up with, like... I kind of I don't know how you say it here because everything gets taken so dramatically, but yeah, I did get smacked if I'd done something wrong. I did have mm. quite a heavy. Oh, I'm scared my mum and dad are going to listen to this. <laughs> um, but I did like I, I did have a heavy-handed upbringing, and I come from a really rough part of Scotland. Um, so I do not take things, including violence around children, lightly at all. Um, it's actually I, I'm, my heart's actually going to even now mention it. It's one of my triggers. Mm. Um, and someone sent me a message um, because Stephen, um, he's a country boy, played rugby, stonemason. I do not believe in bringing children up surrounded with cotton wool either. Like, I think we need to let them make mistakes and uh, we let James figure stuff out. Like, if he rolls off the beds, as long as he doesn't hurt himself, it's fine. He'll learn next time to do it another way. Anyway, so I got a message from someone um, and she was a mother and she sent me a message saying I just have to tell you this I think the way your husband is with your child is very aggressive the word choices that she chose I'm actually oh feel God. quite anxious about saying them out loud because they're the most dramatic forms of what they were so she did use the word violent and aggressive um, and it was actually in a response to Stephen bouncing James on his knee and James was smiling and happy and where he was like picking him up and like pretending he was like a like do you know those claw machines that pick up a toy mm. like kind of that and there was I think thing. I saw this yeah. yeah and she was like it's very aggressive like his bones haven't fully formed yet you should take him and get him checked out like it was full scale and I was like oh that makes me feel sick first of all I was actually able to go okay I actually think there's something very wrong with this person and I was like okay so my immediate reaction was to respond to you with like extreme anger because I'm very angry what you've said but actually having a second to think maybe I should ask if you're okay has something happened to you where something's triggered a response in you because for me there is nothing as if I post a video where my husband has been anything other than playful with my child Mm. um are you okay obviously something's happened to you in the past I'm assuming and she went, no, eh, nothing's happened to me. I'm perfectly happy with my children. I just think your husband's way too rough with your baby. And I'm like, okay, well, I actually think so I, I'm I'm dulling down what she said. It was actually fucking horrific. And I, Stephen deleted it. He's like, I don't even want to see that again because that was that was disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, I really think you need to think about what you send to people because that is extremely damaging and I actually come from a violent past. So I am not willing to even take that into consideration. The fact that you've even said that I'm not okay with it. And I was like, I actually think you're disgusting. And if you've got, if you were really that worried, you wouldn't be messaging me about it. And a friend actually said, my friend Poppy, I spoke to her about it and I was like, I'm really upset about this. Like it just keeps replaying in my head. And she went, Bob, she's like, I've had messages like that. Like if I post my kids, people like, you've not strapped them in, right? You've not, blah 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 and she went if they were really worried they wouldn't be messaging you 
they would have called the police, mm-hmm. they would have called someone. So it's just someone letting off steam and you can't take it to heart. Mm-hmm. But I found that really difficult and had another message when he was bouncing him on his knee, like, you shouldn't do that with a child. You shouldn't bounce children or whenever I post them in these walker, you should, you should, I've actually someone messaged me going, I think you can should consider um, writing a disclaimer. It's your duty to your followers to let them know how detrimental walkers are for their baby's health. And I went, do you really understand what you're asking me to do? So in a photo or a video of my child that I've chose to put in a walker, you're asking me to put a disclaimer saying how detrimental it is for their child's health. I'm like, I actually am very well aware of what is good for my child. And he's in it for maybe 10 minutes tops. Not that I need to explain that to you. But, I'm like, but we all were. I mean, yeah, that's basically yeah, like off. Like, if you have children, you do what you think is the best for them. Don't fucking tell anyone else what to do. Mm. T- Has like, it made you want to retreat or withdraw? Because I was telling you, like, the sort of negative. I don't. I was just about to call them trolls. I don't think I should go that far. But some of them are awful. Like the things that people have said at me, said about me on my Apple Podcast reviews, and that I've actually raised it with Apple to say, like, what is your duty of care Mm. to creators? Because there's no way for us to moderate them in any way. We can't remove them. It brings our rating down. That's like one thing. But also for our mental health as creators, we're spending all this money, putting all this content out, and then these people can just say this stuff. But because I'm so sensitive, I was telling you in season four and five, I completely with like retreated and stopped because everyone, they basically, the negative ones say, shut up, stop talking about yourself. Who do you think you are? Nobody cares about your opinion. And it's just like, well, it's my podcast. (laughs) And these (laughs) are conversations. These I've never said these are interviews. And in order for me to have a conversation, I have to be able to relate and share my stories and hope that by sharing mine, that you feel more held in sharing yours. And Mm. So I went the other way where I kind of retreated, but season six, we're back on, where we're on. Yeah. Um, Fuck that. And like part of, I guess, my own exploration that I've been doing is this, you know, um, concept or idea that we can't, um, we can only meet people at their state of consciousness. So there's Mm -hmm. no point in trying to go down where they are, you know, but has it made you feel like you want to retreat? So. Bearing in mind, this is during COVID. I had a baby during COVID. My mum hasn't met my son. My dad hasn't met my son, and he probably won't until he's well over one. I don't. I do have family here. I've got my a twenty four year old brother. I have no help. I have James all the time. Steve works a lot, and there is days where you're like, and I think in general as well, in anything in life, whether you're a mother, whether you're not, everyone's just trying to do their best. And for someone to attack what you, what your version of your best is. I did come back and I was like, he is never, ever going on Instagram again. I was like, I don't want anyone I don't know looking at him. I don't want anyone looking at my life. So I started a private Instagram and I actually just didn't post for a few days. I was like, I wasn't feeling that great. I was like, I just feel really judged and I don't feel like it's a safe space. But then you're like, do you know what? (laughs) Instagram is like my only social outlet at the minute it literally is all my friends because you can't see anyone. It was like hard lockdown. And I was like, I know if I'm doing, and Stephen always reminds me that he's like, if your morals are intact, then you're doing nothing wrong. So, and I've like, 
I just think I've got a few messages from people as well. See, the thing is, you get like hundreds of beautiful messages, but then you get mm. like one or two really awful ones, and they're the ones that really affect you. Oh, and then you. I'm on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, I hate myself. I need to change my whole life. But <laughs> I got a few really, really nice ones that kind of turned it around. It was like, you're seeing videos of James. Like, really, I really appreciate you sharing your life with him because he is literally the only thing that's got me through lockdown. Like, I look oh forward to your stories every day. And I was like, well, there you go. That arsehole can go and fuck off and not watch them. And it's it's so sad that we are built that way, that that one negative person really gets in and it, like, spreads through you and it affects everything. Whereas mm. you've got all these beautiful people willing to build you up and say nice things. But I'm I'm a sucker for that. I don't, I don't hear. It doesn't go in. I take the negatives and I, it, like, eats away at me. Me too. But yeah, I'm, like, I'm trying hard because you're like, do you know that person? Stephen's like, do you respect that person? Do you know them? No. Then if it was a close friend coming to you and going, here, Steve's flinging him about too much, you'd be like, oh, Steve, calm down. <laughs> it's, it's not. Like, it's not even an it's issue. It's not so that at all. I think one thing I've appreciated the most about your sharing is how um, you've made me already reflect on how I want to parent in the sense that there is a very um, playful, relaxed nature about it. I love seeing the mess. I love seeing the destruction. I love seeing the challenge of you trying to work and having him either you were carrying him a lot when you were painting in the beginning or having him right beside you. That is what I've appreciated the most. I'm like, okay, this is fucking it. This is what it looks like. This it's not the rust-colored linen in the sunshine. It doesn't Do you know exist. What I mean? It doesn't fucking exist. <laughs> I tried. You've just got to give into it. That's been my major lesson. Like you mm. have to just well, give in. One thing I um was reading about you is your I want to make sure I get this right, but a Torian. Yes, hardcore. And one thing you've always really prided yourself on is your home and your studio space being in order Mm -hmm. and that kind of helps you get into your creative flow. How have you navigated that need for order within the complete kind of like, I guess, disorder of parenting and having a baby? Oh, man, it's been it's been my biggest lesson actually since having a baby is just the complete surrender of it. Like I am... I've changed completely in myself. Um, not that I've actually wanted to. So I've just got to go, the house is a mess and that's it. Like I I cannot do it. All. I can't expect to, because Stephen does work a lot. We don't have a granny that I can hand him over or someone to come and do the dishes. So I have just got to go, well, if I actually want to work and I want to have James all the time, I don't want to send him a date, I'm not ready for him to go to daycare or anything yet, then how am I supposed to maintain if I don't have a cleaner either, because of COVID, like if I, there's no way I can do it all unless I just don't sleep. Mm. There is absolutely no way. My studio, I mean, it's easier. Uh, it was in the beginning. Newborns are amazing. They just sleep for such a big stretches of time. I felt like it was easier. The older he gets, the harder it gets. Like I, I cannot even tell you the last time I painted. It's I've got really? a nanny. Yeah, it's it's really difficult just now because Stephen's working six seven days because he's got, we've got the new warehouse, so he's completely renovating it, and he's got to be out of the old one in a week on Monday. So it's really hard just now. I've got James twenty four seven. He takes him and does like the bedtime routine, but I've got him all the time. And my friends are all back at work, so I, I don't really have anyone to rely on. So he's like, you 
you've wanted this for such a long time but I fully didn't I've imagined a baby but I didn't imagine the impact it would have on my work life because I'm an extreme workaholic I love to work and yes it's been extremely difficult for me to I, I, I don't get any if he's got a good nap during the day I answered maybe like five emails before we jumped on this call so it, it is hard but we've actually got someone starting we're sharing like a, a new staff member it's actually kind of a friend that we've got Emma and she's amazing with kids so Stevens has her for three days and I have her a full day with James which is going to be fucking amazing and then a full day in the studio because I, oh, I just hired an assistant as well before Covid um, and yeah he had to move to Scotland and a weird twist of fate he had a <sighs> Scottish boyfriend and he's ended up in bloody Scotland so it's, it's difficult I'm not going to lie about it it's hard and yeah and I don't know how people have white linen babies. I actually physically don't know how it's possible. He is into everything. Mm. And when everything. I see him eating, I'm just like, get ready, Alison. Like, it's all Food. over the fucking face. Oh it's my everywhere. God. Yeah. He's driving me mental. He, he's, he's doing this new thing where he spits the food out. But then he hasn't, I think he's got a little bit of hay fever. So he's getting that itchy nose. So he just rubs it all over his face and his hair. So I'm like, wow, this is... And insane. you just have to surrender. Yeah. And I just let them figure stuff out as well. I like the same. We've got a dog, um, Scout, and we don't walk her on a leads. She's a fucking dog at the end of the day. She wants to go and sniff something. We've trained her so well that she won't go on the road. It's like, I'm all about, like, babies are babies. Dogs are dogs. Mm. You've got to give them that freedom. So, yeah, my house is a riot. Yeah. <laughs> How do you... um? How would you score your mental health is probably a good oh way to God, say it. Oh, my God, it's chaotic. Some days it's it's like it's, there's some days where I think during hard lockdown um, and I'm always really open with feelings. I don't I don't believe in this, like, you can only, if we're friends, I only want your positives. You've got to want me in my bad day or you don't get the good day. So mm. I'm quite open when I'm struggling and I'm like, no, nah, I'm having a shit time. I need help. So there has been like some, I have probably felt the lowest I've ever felt in my life because the changes in your, you're, you're dealing with so much, the change of your life, you've actually given your body to someone else. And then also like just navigating so much to so your relationship, your relationship changes so much. I think I've really struggled with that. The fact that someone else's priority and like we come, we come second now and I'm like, I can't remember the last time like we just had time alone together without a tiny person mm. climbing all over us or, you know, or my dog, the scout, the scout, <laughs> my dog scout <laughs> is so needy now as well. And yeah, there's days, I actually, I've just started, I've not just, I've been doing it for six weeks. So I went to like hardcore PT because if I'm not exercising, like Stephen's like, I can see your cycles that you go through, but you cannot see it. Like if I'm not healthy, if I'm not eating the right foods and I'm not exercising, my whole life goes to shit. And it's taken me a long, long time to figure that out. So Stephen was, during lockdown, even though everyone's in a vulnerable position, he's like, you have to put yourself first. You have to sign up for this PT. And it's really expensive, but it's it's the only way I'm going to get it done. So it's their enterprise fitness and it's like a results driven. So it's like they actually train female and male bodybuilders and they oh, are wow. across everything so my trainer Tyrone I have to every Sunday I have to like basically tell them how my week's been like how many poos I've done a day what my sex drive is like what my energy levels are like wow. if I'm bloated and I actually just now I'm weighing my food 
I'm going hardcore. He's wow. like, you're not shredding. You're not shredding anyway. You're still kind of relaxed. Because I'm like, oh, fuck, I love a pastry, man. I could eat pastries all day. I just love all the bad foods, but I'm not blessed with the metabolism. So, yeah, I've got the scales out and I'm weighing like 120 grams of protein pumpkin. And it's like, I'm, if there's no point in me paying all this money. It's, it's probably about $100 a session, which is, Stephen's hmm. like, you shouldn't like say it's expensive when it comes to your health and well-being. There is no price you can put on that. You wouldn't bat an eyelid spending a couple of hundred dollars on a pair of shoes. So like, yeah. just do it. So I saw uh, those like, recent Gucci's. Oh, yeah, that was a really, that was an impulse buy. Right? I was like, yeah. I need those. Oh my God, now I want those. I think we were let back out and again into the world. Like Melbourne's been insane. It's been a long, long time not being able to go in a shop. And I do have a bit of a shopping problem, let's be honest. That's how I gain <laughs> happiness. If I'm feeling like shit, I'll just go and spend so much money and then I'll feel great. So I think I bought, I just, after the shower one night, I was like, I feel like shit. And then I scrolled through Instagram and I was like, oh, Gucci size. And I went, oh, they're only $490. I'll do that. (laughs) Like, because it's Gucci, you just expect it to be thousands. Pretty good for. Cheap. (laughs) Bargain. Yeah. (laughs) I've already worn them twice. It's totally worth it. Have you um, explored therapy? I have. So after, I think two years ago, I had an ectopic pregnancy. Mm. And I don't know with pregnancy with you, it brings up relationships with your mother. So what it oh, did for me. Oh, man, anyway. this is so weird that you're talking about this. <laughs> it's, it's, no one. T- this is one of the things that no one tells you. So I had an ectopic and it also with that dealing with the loss of a pregnancy, which is already hard in itself. It brought up all the shit of having my mum. So I went, I think you get the 10 sessions free with psychologists. Um, so I went to a psychologist um, and I also seen a kinesiologist, which I'm actually head more towards the kind of spiritual side of things rather than the, the clinical. So I mm. found um, a psychologist. I didn't actually find it that helpful. Obviously it was, but I I just, I don't, it felt like I could have sat and talked to a wall. Now they don't really give you much response. And they, I just felt like it was, it wasn't, pardon me, there wasn't a connection. She wasn't genuinely giving her opinion and I like opinions. I've got mm. an incredible kinesiologist that I see. Her name's Stacey Arnold. I'm probably saying her second name wrong. And my friends put me in touch with her. And in my first appointment, she was like, why are you here? And I was like, why, why the fuck am I? Why, why, do you want a list that I could, I could go on? I was like, I recently lost a baby. I've got shit that just keeps coming up that I really want to move past. I seem to be through these go through these same patterns of like, like self-sabotage where everything's happy if everything's going right then I like I just stick a pin in it um and after the session the session was incredible she goes into your past she was able to pick out certain memories that things are coming from it's just it's one of those things the kinesiology session you can't explain it you just have to go Stephen asked me you explain, have to I was experience like, you just need it. To it's really weird in the end of it when we sat down she was I was like I just cried my eyes out I was like this is incredible and I went when should I see you again and she just went, you'll know. I'm like, oh my God, it's so nice to be like, well, you need four sessions then. She was just like, you'll know when to see me, sweetheart. And that's how we work. I usually email her like, I need I've, I need in to see you now. And she'll be like, okay, I've got tomorrow at 3 p.m. or whatever, mm. which is great. And I do Reiki it's, as well. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. That's another thing that you have to experience it yeah. instead of explain it. Because oh, I've man, tried to I explain Reiki so to Tony successful. as well. Yeah. Hmm. I just really, it really works on me. Like mm. I went recently as well during COVID and she's like, wow, it was one of the first appointments that opened up 
when you could and I went in and she's like why are you here and I was like the what I hear everything I was getting like really really bad tinnitus or tinnitus um, mm. and really bad vertical to the point I was like walking into walls I was dropping everything and I was like I can hear the world like I just there's so much static and I I can't concentrate like I can't sit still and when I do sit still like the t- the ringing in my ear is deafening I was like I just can't deal with this and she's like there's a huge thing going on I don't know if you've noticed here but I've actually had friends say to me as well like the road rage just now is like insane I'm not gonna do it any justice in terms of relaying her explanation because it was spot on because I do not retain information but there's something going on like in astronomy like the the certain moon phase or something it's like it's actually bringing out the female side of mask like and men it's bringing out their mm-hmm. vulnerabilities so it's making them really fucking aggressive I just oh, I just did so much clarity after that and I honestly I yeah. can feel stuff I got Reiki and I was like whoa I felt like <laughs> my hands lifted but my arms didn't and I was like, was I lying like this? Was my arms like way up? And she went, no. And I was like, well, they were. And I went, and why did you poke me in the head? She went, I didn't. didn't I'm, I'm not amazing. actually, we're not allowed to make that connection. If you break, if you touch, you break the, I don't know, the energy field or something. And she went, but I was thinking about it. And your third eye was like sucking me in. I was like, well, you did touch me, but you obviously physically didn't touch me because I was like, you full on poked me in the head. But it's, I just find those more, I get more of a resolution with the kind of yeah. spiritual, holistic side rather than the psychological, like the, the, psychological. the therapist. Yeah. It's interesting because, as you know, I've been doing a lot of the spiritual side. And mm. then when I fell pregnant this time, I knew the pregnancy anxiety was coming for me. I was under no, like I knew yeah. it was going to be massive and I knew I had to get ahead of it. Yeah. And I thought, okay, you can meditate twice a day, you can do all this stuff, but you're obviously still battling this thing and so maybe it's time to return to more of a Western approach. And so I got my obstetrician referred me to a perinatal psychologist. It's interesting you say this because she, in the first session I will say some really big aha moments, stuff I'd had before in therapy that I'd forgotten so it's kind of good to remember But then it was like, so this is your time. Every Monday at one o'clock, you'll be coming. And I just was like, it was 230 bucks or something. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't even pay myself that much money every week. Like I, there's no way I can afford it. So I automatically felt just a little bit like constricted within the program of it. And then I also realized that so opposite of yours, she didn't let me talk. Yeah. So, and I really needed to talk and yeah. I did three sessions. She was actually wonderful and I think for some people really well suited. Yeah. But I was like, I need to express what's going on inside my body and my mind and you're just telling me why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling, but I yeah, need to actually get it out. Sometimes you someone to sound it off. Like you don't know. Exactly. That doesn't tell you it's going to be okay. Exactly. And she, and she called it um, anticipation anxiety and had linked it back to loss and abandonment when I was little. And so it all made a lot of sense, but I left even the third time feeling like nothing is shifting here, Mm. you know, and then just going back to my kind of, you know, Vedic study and being really consistent with my meditation. And, but it won't, it's still, I mean, I'm 30, yeah, 30 weeks in and it's still like this morning I was petrified. She wasn't moving. 
And so I sat in the bed for one hour with my eyes closed and my hands on my stomach just being like, come on, come on, like move, move, move. move." And I drank all this water, I had hot water, cold water. Yeah. And then she moved. (laughs) And then then you're like, for fuck's sake. Exactly. You're like, is it enough? Like, you know, are you moving? Did I really feel it? Or did I just have like a weird... Oh my God. So you had this as well. Exact same. And I think obviously you've had a loss as well before. I think the first time I was pregnant, I was so fucking excited. Like I was, I remember actually I was on the, I've mentioned this before. I was on the plane coming back. I think I had to go um, up to Biden Bay for work. And I was, it was early. I was like seven weeks Mm. or something when I was in Biden. And on the plane coming back, I actually texted Steve and I was like, I have never felt, I, I really feel like this is what true happiness is. I feel like the happiest, like I can't get any happier. So I think the plane might crash. Um, I think like I've actually reached like I've got everything I've ever wanted so I think I'm gonna die now so I love you and um, if I land (laughs) I'll call you and he's just like you're a fucking psycho but that when you've gone through the loss of that when I was so happy it just made me so scared so I didn't publicly announce I was pregnant until I was like 20 weeks my mum's like come on man I want to tell everyone I'm gonna be a grand I was like I'm not ready mum and I was like you set yourself these little milestones well, I don't know if you do, but I did anyway. You said like, you've got your 12 weeks. Well, I had early scans, so I was like, eight weeks. Okay, eight weeks. I'll get to eight weeks. Then you get to eight weeks, and you're like, oh, 12 weeks. Then you're like, oh, I've got to get to 12 weeks. And you're like, oh, 20 weeks. I'll get to the 20-week scan, and then I'll start to relax uh-uh, the whole way through. And then the stage that you're at now, I was the exact same. You're like, oh, my God, I've not felt the baby move. I'd phone Steve, and I'd be like, oh, my God, I've not felt the baby move. Or if we had, if we had sex, I'd be like, oh, my God, we've hit the baby. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not, that was a bit rough. We've like it's yeah. not moving oh my god and then he would put that fuck and I'd lie and I'd be like oh my god it's not moving I'm like go down and talk to the baby shout at my stomach and then I'm like oh it's yeah. okay so, but then it's like there's it's just one thing after the other and I think you're just so fucking happy and grateful that you're so scared that something's going to take it away mm, this is exactly it which is really hard mm, like I keep thinking do you are you going to get this are you, do you get this happiness? Do you really, you're same as you, like they're catastrophizing, you've got everything yeah. else. Do you get this as well? Or is this going to be your. Yeah, have you peaked? But do you also, I would halfway through saying that to myself, I'd be like, don't jinx it. Then you're manifesting. So oh, I'd be like, this oh, is I'm- my internal pain, <laughs> like, is I'm like, you're, you're bringing want- it on yourself. <laughs> so it'll only be your fault. I was like, you're going to manifest this. Like, you have to stop thinking that because you're going to make it happen and I'm like oh my god this is so vicious it's so vicious but then you've just got to just go shut the fuck up time to talk about love Robin's nickname Bobby actually comes from her husband Stephen a stonemason turned sculptor I see a lot of the way I love Tony in the way Bobby loves Stephen She's always calling him sexy and admiring all parts of him. I asked Bobby to share how they met and quickly learned that sometimes you've just got to do whatever it takes to grab your love, to take what you know is meant to be yours. So we have been together 14 years and like I'm constantly so grateful 
for even having the relationship that I have. I think everyone that I had been with before Steve, I was like, mm, there's always something. Or you'd get the ick, you'd be like, mm, his pinky on his left hand, <laughs> deal breaker. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> <laughs> oh, disgusting. Um, and I was, I'd signed up, typical anyone in the art industry, I was like, I, found, I loved art in school. I was like, I don't really want to go and do fine art, although I kind of regret that now, even though I regret nothing, but you know what I mean? Given again, I would actually like to do fine art, but I was like, I don't want to go in a room and like talk to I mean, the art scene, the way that people talk about art frustrates the fuck out of me and just like call a spade a spade. Stop using mm. all those bloody big words. So that was one of the main reasons I didn't want to do fine art because I was like, I don't want to talk about the abstract identities of this beer can. I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> so I decided, I was like, how can I make money and still do something creative? The only thing available then to my knowledge was fashion. So I'd signed up for fashion college in Glasgow um, and I lived 45 minutes away. So I'm from Greenock, which is 45 minutes in the train plus two buses, either end of that and a 20 minute walk. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So I missed my bus on the first day, which then meant I missed every connecting thing, which made I was minimum an hour late. So I was like, fuck, I hate being late. Major anxiety in life. Now I don't care. I've got a baby. I can get away with it. But I ran into the lecture um, and it was full, it was packed and they'd all been talking for about an hour, like induction, blah, blah, blah. And there was one space like in the auditorium, um, it's kind of into the left. And I jumped in this seat and this chick, Danielle, was like, ah, hi, blah, blah, blah. Um, and she went, this is Steve. And I just assumed there were a couple just for the way she was like really over familiar. And all I seen was this like beautiful tanned arm. It was like so <sighs> toned and beautiful tan. His skin is like beautiful and perfect. And his hands, I always say that to Steve, like I've got a big thing for hands. Like oh my, my grandpa God. had beautiful hands and like my mum always joke, like remembers and talks and jokes about how like she wished she could have kept my grandpa's hands. And I always joke about that with Steve, like if you die, I'm going to get them stuffed and I'll just hold your hands at night when I go to bed. <laughs> He's like, you're a psycho. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, yeah. Tony's hands, oh, oh. I'm going to take a picture of them and send them to you so I'll we can compare. They are, are so beautiful. <laughs> And he doesn't even get like his cuticles are perfect, and I'm like, okay, yes. Do you go and get manicures during the yes. night? He's a freak. So I just remember seeing this beautiful arm, and then this like big smiley, sunshiny, beautiful face like popped forward and was like, "Hi!" And he had the biggest, whitest smile, and he's he had long curly hair, but long it was like I can't, I can't long for a dude, but it wasn't like shoulder mm. length. It was long and curly, and I was like, "Oh fuck." I was like, shit, my heart like fell out my bum. I was like, I actually love him. And then we I found out they weren't a couple. She was she was just like over familiar with everyone. And then we originally were supposed to be in the same class. So the 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 year was so big it got split into two. And a girl called Maria that I was in college with before, doing like my portfolio, she'd found out that I was actually in his class, would have been. And she was like, My best friend's in that class, you need to swap her. And she's like, Well, we don't really do that. And she's like, No, you have to. So that's actually like the biggest blessing because I don't know if it would have worked if we were in the same class, obviously, because we would have been together all day. So it took a it took a while, it took a couple of months. Like every time I seen him, I'd like drop something, like classic, bump into him and drop all my papers. And then my cousin, um, I was over and I was like, I honestly like I'm so obsessed with this guy called Stephen. I was like, I'm gonna marry him one day. Like I I just know he's for me. My cousin works in TV and film. She actually does this the, all the set design. She's the head designer for Outlander. Scottish oh my god amazing dream job so at the time she was working on a documentary as a stonemason and Stephen's a stonemason to trade I know he was he'd done that from the age of 15 
I'd already got that information out of him. Um, and she was like, I've got the perfect excuse for you to ask for Stephen's number. I need a hand double for this documentary about a stonemason. So I was like, oh, I think it took me about two days to build a lab to ask him. And I was like, oh, I cornered him in the lift. And I was like, so I've got something to ask him. Um, so my cousin uh, works in TV and film and she needs a hand double for a stonemason. So can I get your number? And he's like, yeah, okay. Um, but then she was like, oh, I didn't actually tell you it's like an 80 year old man, so it's not going to work. So I was like, fuck. And she's like, but now you've got his number. So I had to like message her, like, I'm really sorry. It needs to be someone 80, year, 80 years old or whatever. But I'm like, I'll take you out for a drink to apologise. So he's like, are you asking me out? I'm like, yep. But he went and like sorted the, the place out. But after that, we had the best first date ever. We went to this beautiful little pub, which isn't there anymore, called The Goat in Glasgow. And there was a live band playing. And then we ended up going out at a club. And we actually stayed in my cousin's house that night she gave us an apartment and we fell asleep like fully clothed holding hands woke up the next oh morning God. bunked off college he's like I'd never been to Edinburgh before like as at an old age I'd been as a child but he's like there's this vintage shop in Edinburgh I need to take you I was like let's go today so we just skived off um college went up to Edinburgh had like a panini on the cobble street and then went a vintage Aww. shop and it was that was it we were we've pretty much been Together inseparable ever since, ever since yeah I love how that night you were like, give me those hands. Oh, those fucking hands. He's got the most those beautiful hands. hands. They're gorgeous. And even though he's a stonemason and he... he they shouldn't be, stuff, you know he, what I mean? They shouldn't be. They should be covered in calluses. They should be wrecked, but they're not. They're, they're always so beautiful. And I'm like, what do you do? <laughs> Tell me your secrets. <laughs> yeah. What's your... um? You know, so he's obviously an artist himself. He's a sculptor, but mm. is I know explores other mediums and he's exploring other mediums. What's your relationship? How different is your intimate relationship to your creative relationship? I'm always really fascinated by people who almost live and work together yeah. in that way. Yeah. Mm. It's actually taken a lot of time and we're still navigating through the work side of things. So in our personal life, we work so well together. Like I am a dreamer. Someone actually, I got my numerology done. If you haven't had that done before, it's amazing. So we got our numerology done because we've actually always been told we're incompatible in terms of our star signs. Stephen's a Pisces, but he is not a Pisces. He was premature, mm. so I think it messed with he his horoscope. Yeah. But we got our numerology done. And they're like, no, you're actually so compatible. You're kind of at the opposite ends of your horoscope and it actually works. And her description of us was that I'm a balloon. <laughs> floating away bouncing off trees and he's like my anchor which is kind of what it's like he is the planner he plans our whole life he's got like a five ten year 20 year plan i just kind of ping pong ball through life and go with the flow and i'm so laid back yeah i pretty much just go along for the ride and he actually knew he said that we would have our first baby when he was 35 we had james when he was 35 he's also said our second baby we'll have our second baby in april 2022 and by by fucking god that'll happen he just he's a manifester and a planner and i he kind of helps navigate me because i just have all these dreams and big ideas but i don't ever walk them through further than the <laughs> the idea so and in terms of work it's actually more of a struggle because in our personal life i'm more easy going and i kind of let him win a lot of the time just for the easy life so if he's got a really strong opinion i'm like if you feel that strong about it I'm I'm cool with that. Like let's let's navigate it. I feel this, but I'm actually okay to change. Whereas um, when it comes to work, we're both used to being like a leader, which mm. I naturally love problem solving. I love 
lead nitty. I love stepping in, get my hands dirty, and he's the same. So it's quite hard because we're both very opinionated. So when it comes to work, we butt heads a lot. But I think it's a positive because because we're in such um, similar fields as well in terms of like pushing each other. He always he he's my biggest like backer, and he makes me really like go for things. He makes me so ambitious. And we always have like this kind of, you know, I don't even know how to describe it apart from doing this with my hands. <laughs> Obviously, they can't see that. Usually when he's like got a lot happening career wise, like a lot of successes, then I naturally fall a little bit. And it's like as if I need to take that little break and then that gives, it refuels my battery and then I'm ready to kind of push forward again. And then he kind of sits a bit. So it's kind of like you, you're not competitive, but each other's success propels totally. you to want to yeah be more create more develop 100%. more in so your when own he work. achieves something I'm like oh I need to go bigger and then when I do that he's like well I need to go bigger so it's like constantly pushing each other in ways when we're not really meaning to if you know what I mean mm. it's so it's good. cool and I honestly like I feel so lucky every day that we're we both had a moment recently um it's whenever we put on really sad music we both go what the fuck like I'm an artist. I've always I've wanted to be an artist. And I was always told that I couldn't be one, and I am one. And he's the same. He's like he's built this. We call it his empire. <laughs> I don't know what else to call it now, even though it's a bit um, pretentious. But like he's built this thing from nothing, and we've got James, and like we're living in Australia. We've got so much that we set out to do. We've actually done. So it's it's a nice mm. feeling. But well, that was one of my questions day. for you because I was reading that he had to sacrifice quite a bit in the beginning in order for you guys to stay visa-wise. Can you tell us a little bit about Our what you kind of have to give up? It's fucking huge. And it's something that I've actually, like, my friends know all about it, but I don't actually speak public about it because it's, to be honest, I'm, we're both very bitter about the way we've been treated mm. in this country, which I think is absolutely mental. So we've we've just had such a hard road. It's been 10 years and we've watched friends go through it and it's just happened so easy for them. So we are now in... I think we've tallied up $117,000 that we've paid towards the government and lawyers fees. Oh That's our life savings. That is, we don't have, we don't own a house. We don't, we don't have anything. We've spent everything that we work for goes on the visa. Okay. So I didn't actually run this by Bobby before doing this, but I've decided to omit this part of their story from our honest conversation. When I listened back, I heard her briefly say she doesn't want to share it publicly. So this is me respecting that. From what she did share, it's been long, hard and expensive and it isn't over. Hearing their story made me realise just how privileged we are to live freely in this beautiful country, but also how difficult it is for foreigners to legally call the same soil home. I'm popping us back in as we got onto the topic, finally, of art. Let's talk about your art. I was reading that you didn't create, you you haven't always created and painted. And I wondered why, if you wanted to, you didn't. Was it a fear of judgment or a fear of, expression like how it was going to come out on the paper literally so there is this 
there's a thing within Scottish people that it's easier for you, for them, for us as a culture to take the piss out of someone or to bring them down than actually big them up. It's it's very, it's a very strange thing. It's not until you move away, you're like, wow, we're all fucked up. But there is, <laughs> like, I was told I couldn't from the minute I said I wanted to be an artist, which I knew from, honestly, the minute I could walk and talk, I knew. My grandpa was an artist. My mum's an incredible artist, but she's done fuck all with it and doesn't even draw anymore. Um, and I was always told, like, what do you want to do when you're older? And I'd be an artist. And like, mm, that, that's not real. You can't be that. And I'm like, fuck's sake. Every time. So it's always been in the back of my head. And then when I actually, be- I'm jumping and then I'll go back. So then when I actually became an artist, the way people give me like a backhanded compliment is to like when they look at my art or when they're describing someone else, like there is someone close to me that always goes, yeah, but they're a proper artist or like I've went and seen some real art and I'm like, what is a proper artist? Like I am, I've done what you've said I couldn't do and now it's not good enough. Like I'm not a proper mm. artist because I can't, I'm not a fucking Renaissance painter. So there is a part of me that is always embarrassed by, it's really strange because I find it easier to talk about Steve whenever I'm in a situation um, or with someone where it's kind of networking, I switch, I flick to talking about Steve because it's easier because I love what he does. And it's, I just find it really difficult talking about Mark. There's a sense of embarrassment because I joke about it and go, yeah, paint circles for a living. I didn't actually ever set out to be so minimalist or, you know, or so simple, but it's just kind of, it ended up being like almost like meditation for me because when I was growing up, I was a drawer. I loved pencils, loved drawing. And even for my degree show, I was obsessed. It's more like conceptual art. So I'd done photography, I'd done illustration. Um, and I actually drew portraits of old men. Like I loved doing portraits, but they were picture perfect and they take forever. And you're like, I've earned my stripes because I can draw hyper-realist, but I've tr- it doesn't bring me joy. Like I actually, mm. would, it, would, it would be, it comes when it comes. That's the thing with art. Like when the mood strikes, it happens and you do like 10 things and then you can't get it for like weeks. So I started painting. I was working at Pop and Scott. I was there. I was actually the first employee that um, Poppy had um, for painting the pots. So it was all geometric. It was all painting shapes. And I love, I, like I'm, I mean, I can say I'm OCD because I actually did have OCD when I met Steve. Like, I was a psycho. I'd have to, like, flip the switch at certain times. And my knickers were colour-coordinated and shop-folded. Wow. Um, so that really appealed to me, the the fact that there's guidelines and it's very, very strict, which is very apparent in my work. Um, I like this. the start. It was all about, like, measuring up, which was the same with the pots. And I think that kind of – because I hadn't painted for maybe, like, six years since leaving since leaving art school. Um, so I think that kind of started bringing back the joy of it and the fact that it was more a practice than it was about an end goal I wasn't trying to be an artist I wasn't trying to sell things it was actually for someone else that took the pressure off um, and that's what kind of started the shapes which then sold on Instagram I was like I, what, people are wanting to buy this like what the hell and then this whole thing happened by accident and it's not like I'd set out to actually do it um, so when people actually ask me to describe my work I really really struggle I'm like it's like circles on paper <laughs> like, and it's not until a long time after where someone actually I don't really know what I'm painting about or what I'm doing until after when someone goes oh this really reminds me of that and I was like actually that that was what was going through my mind like it was all about femininity at that point it was all about like motherhood and loss and I do have these obsessions I do have obsessive compulsive kind of tendencies where I like become obsessed with a colour 
and obsessed with a pattern and I'm really going till I've exhausted it um but part of me when it comes back to like kind of fighting what I'm doing or being in but I don't know if embarrassed is the right word but being shy about it Mm. it does come back to those those things that are repeating in my head like you're not a proper artist so there is a part of me that wants to go and do a renaissance painting just to go like oh fuck you and I can do this as well yeah (laughs) yeah well it's interesting because one of the questions I had for you was like for any you know art students or emerging artists listening like how did you um and you've kind of answered it like establish you you have a very distinct brand and that doesn't now sound purposeful at all but maybe we could talk a little bit about things like pricing and the commercialization of your oh art my like fucking god pricing in the art world do you know what it's yeah. actually one of how the things how do you even do you know what i think it's starting to i've got so much to say on this topic i could talk for like 4 hours the fact that see i, I struggle with this all the time because i think that what you would want to be and because I struggle with being if I was to build a brand and how I would present myself isn't true to me so if I wanted to I've never went down the gallery route I find the conversations and the language in the art world exhausting and the fact that you have to write this big fucking paragraph about what your artwork's about and it's like no it's just what it is it's like I could go and look at this look up a thesaurus and say all these big words it's like I'm intellectual when I write I'm not intellectual when I talk I've not got I've got the vocabulary where I can sit and think about it but I was like I don't really like having to dissect everything I do and I think I really don't fit in to that area of the art world I find it I think probably I'm probably self-depreciating if that's the right word, that it's very hard to know your value. There is nothing that you can look on because value is made up. Mm. I am obsessed with the contemporary art market. I, don't, I actually love doing my thesis and dissertation and I actually wrote my dissertation for my art degree back home um, on the contemporary art bubble and how like value is is not reality it's fake so mm. the value of like Damien Hirst like one of his uh, crystal skulls was like the highest selling um, piece of contemporary art of all time at that point it was like sold for like it was either 25 or 65 I know there's a huge difference in that million but when you actually look at who purchased that Damien Hirst actually put the money in for that himself and he put in with Saatchi the owner of White Cube Gallery um, and a couple of his investors and buyers so it was a group of people together that put in to buy that so then to drive the, the value of his so, art up so this is like they're trying to stop that so it's like market driving and they actually prop their own prices up so it's very very hard as an artist especially when you're doing it yourself and you don't have the backing of a gallery or as someone who is dealing with your sales or a manager to go okay this is how much your work costs I am constantly told that my work is way too cheap but I was like, I just don't know. I don't have anyone to be like, how do you price art then? Like, tell me how. And it's like, obviously, my, I value myself. Like, it's going to be lower than anyone else values it at. So mm. it's really, really difficult. I think prints is fine because you can look online and you'll be like, okay, I'm going to look at some other artist's work and see where I feel like I sit in, in in terms of them. But when it comes to pricing original art, it's extremely difficult. How do you put your value on your own time and your own creativity and your own brain? Like I'm coming up with these things and then it's like really hard because the amount of time that goes in a painting isn't the amount of time that it takes to paint it. It's all the months before that research and it's it's like how many time how much time goes into researching paint colours, papers, blah blah blah, all of that stuff. So that it's really hard for people who are breaking out and I just think you have to have that natural drive to ask questions and research. 
like I get really fucking annoyed I mean I'm saying this being grateful at the same time but I get really annoyed when people message me and they're like where do you buy your paintbrushes from where do and you're just like go to a fucking art store and figure it the fuck out I don't know I don't use anything like I think that's why maybe I get annoyed about it because I don't typically use I didn't go to art school I studied I did I studied art and design I studied portfolio building but then I studied so many different facets of the creative industry like I I did fashion I learned garment construction pattern cutting all these different things which to printmaking I think all these things led to me to where I am now and have a really big understanding of quality um materials textures all this stuff but it's like I don't actually know all the answers about everything Mm. to do with art do you know what I do? I go in an art store and I spend three hours in there and I look at what brushes that match with me. I'm like, this, okay, this looks nice. It's got a clean edge. I don't like the bristles and that's too thick. I touch things, I pick them up. I buy sample colours. I spend so much money on paint trying to find that perfect shade. And then mm. people just message me and go, what shade's that? And I'm like, I'm not going to tell you the exact paint I'm using because that's like a chef telling you their secret ingredient. But yeah. please go to your local art store speak to the people that work there they're so knowledgeable describe what you want to do and they will help you I can't answer all your questions and I don't Mm -hmm. use mediums in the way they're supposed to be used like I'll use something that's supposed to be like a base coat I go and I'll use anything to put paint on paper and it won't be conventional and that's when you find when you make mistakes and experiment that's when you find your thing so it's like just go and figure it out and experiment mm-hmm. and don't be scared stop trying to do the right thing I do everything wrong like yeah. I would go around fucking plates for like the first I think honestly when I started selling work maybe a good six months in Bruce who owns Anchor Ceramics he had a studio at Pop and Scott and I actually used to go in and borrow his plates I used to take them off the shelves and I used to go to the kitchen and get side plates and bowls and cups and draw around them for and I used to sit and I'd be work out compositions by putting bowls on the paper and he's like hey Bob have you ever heard of a compass and I was like oh my God, I totally forgot a compass existence. Like I genuinely forgot. And I was like, oh shit. But that I probably wouldn't have had that understanding of composition and placement of shape had I used mm-hmm. the compass because then it would have been too easy. Yes, this is, um, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think um, as somebody who's making a living sharing knowledge and seeking to educate, I find it very difficult when I get DMs of people saying, hey, what mic do you use? What do you record on? What's your process? Because I want to obviously and especially want more female voices in podcasting. Mm. But at the same time, it's like I've literally spent tens and tens and tens of thousands of yeah. dollars. I've invested my life in this. In production and yeah. in testing the different, buying the wrong mic, trying a new mic. Same as like, this mic is actually one of the cheapest mics, but my voice sounds the best on it. Yeah. But I bought the really expensive one and I sounded like shit on that. So it's like, yeah. I so I, I have found that really hard because I don't want to withhold and be like, no, you can't know. But at the same time now I've found my script insane. Like, I hope you can understand that. This yeah. is how I make a living. And I've, yeah. I've invested a lot of money in getting my product to a point where, you know, I think it can always improve, but I'm happy with the quality. And so same as you, like I encourage you to explore. I don't know what your voice sounds like, so I can't give you any audio exactly. recommendations. What What is yeah. works for you is not going to work for me. And mm. what works for me, like some people might hate my brushes. Some people might want something completely different and they're like, having a set like it's not all about the things that's what I try and explain it's like you Mm. do not need to go out and spend all this money trying to be something like 
number one find your own and like honestly people go through their whole fucking careers trying to find their own style and their own voice I know I'm extremely lucky do you know what I actually don't think my work is completely 100% me it's it's going to evolve over time but I didn't try to find something it it just happens completely by accident and I I do not I I honestly will sit here and say I don't think it's a true 100% true representation of me because I look at so many different artists and I'm like I still go myself I still go oh my god I'd love to paint like that and I look at mine I'm like oh my work's fucking shit compared to them but it will evolve over time and it's like as the saying says it takes like 10,000 hours to become a genius or a master a master mm-hmm. so I'm like I've painted and drawn since I could hold a pencil I grew up in a family of artists it was around me all the time my gran would set up still lifes I wasn't a kid that could watch a movie I was a pain in the arse the only thing that would sit me still and I talked non-stop I used to drive everyone up the wall the only thing that could keep me quiet and keep me focused was drawing so my gran my, honestly I, my gran is one of the biggest she's passing obviously but she was just one of the biggest people in my life she just gave me so much she had so much patience with me we would bake together we would cook and she would set up she always had incredible plants my grand my mum used to joke like my grand could draw grow a tree from a twig like she would just have all these <laughs> mental plants everywhere and she was a total green thumb and she would set up like still lifes on our living room table um and I would sit there and she'd teach me about the shadows and she'd sit up here with me and be like look how the light's hitting that look at the shadow under this look at the color of green it is taught me about the color chart like if you don't if you're trying to be an artist and you don't know anything about the color chart it's like there's certain things like if you want to learn french but you you start with the alphabet you start with simple things it's the same with art it's like you learn about light and shades the fundamentals you learn about fucking color you learn about tools and it's just like all these little things that are so easy to put in place before you even think mm. to start somewhere. what do you think like you know the digitization of everything and yeah. the speed in which we want things now is oh, pulling people away from that traditional. Yeah, they they don't, and I think schooling. I'm seeing that in like my like younger kids around me, like sixteen. It's the same with my brother. It's the same with my friend's son, and he's like, when you ask them what they want to be, like my brother was like, I I want to be famous, and he's like, I want to be a CEO, and I'm like, but sweetheart, what does that mean? A CEO of what? And he's like, I just I want to be a CEO. I want to be rich. You're like, and then my other friend's son's like, I want to be like famous on TikTok and you're like right well what are you doing every day to do that are you how many videos you make in a day like are you researching the, the latest technologies do you know about CEO Google and you're just like they don't fill in the gaps they just see success or their version of success and they're like uh, I want that and you're like but like have you got worth ethic are you willing like like success is a fucking major sacrifice huge sacrifice like I've sacrificed so many friendships and so many like exciting things that everyone else is doing so like I'm gonna I need I need to paint that day I need I need to work and I think that the although social media is huge, I mean, I mean, would we be here if it wasn't for social media? Who knows? Mm. We're our own marketing team. We're our own everything. We we can decide on what our voice is. But at the same time, it's like literally the easy route for everything, and it's not teaching hard work. And it's I try and show as much as I can, like in my process and behind the scenes, without giving yeah, I think everything. You're very generous, but like it's it's hard work, and it's like all about mm. making mistakes. Um, sorry, my stomach crumbled there and it might have sounded I like a thought that might have been me because I keep burping and stuff being <laughs> preggers. And so I was like, oh, shit, I think that was my No, it was my throat. stomach, but it sounded like okay. I farted. So I thought I'd, I'd probably have to describe that and explain it. <laughs> um, but I think, like, I really want to instill that in James 
I really want him to know hard work and work ethic and and what it means to be ambitious. Like even down there on the weekends, like I was next door, like figuring out my space, which is huge and exciting. And it's yeah, so so intimidating. But I was like, I'm just gonna leave him with you, and he just like I just bricked, I basically just bricked him in the big space and he just watched Steve build a wall and he's like I can't wait until he's down here and he's like we're gonna let him see with a minute he can walk like we're gonna let him figure it out like he can lay bricks if he wants to he can touch all the things you're not supposed to obviously if it's not dangerous but I want him to be able to figure stuff out and give him the freedom because I think that's maybe what kids pardon me because they're all on social media they're all in the rooms more like I want him to use his hands and and figure stuff out and not take the easy route because it's, mm. it's the harder way to go but it's also the better way yeah which it, it must be so hard for kids these days I can't imagine what it's like growing up with phones even just like there's so many different avenues you can go down talking about phones but like I grew up in a really although it was rough as guts like I was actually pretty lucky I lived up the top end of my town and I was surrounded by three farms and we were chucked outside with a sandwich at like eight in the morning and we never came back till like six yeah you would just pee in the field you wouldn't come back yeah and it makes you resilient so much freedom and we just Mm. figured it out it was amazing and I just hope he has even a small bit of what we had growing up which I know it'll be so different but you can create that for him and it Mm. sounds like that that you know and that's very inspiring to me as well to think about that um can we talk a little bit about um you know there's this um perception that creatives aren't good with money and finances and I guess strategic planning inside their businesses does that feel true to you or not like in terms of like can you give us an idea of how have you found your way on that more kind of commercial financial side or is that something that you're still challenged with to be honest I just ask questions so I am only now have I literally just in conversation with now from my new girl Emma that's going to start working for me but I have had to figure everything out myself I'm a web designer graphic designer accountant everything and now that things are getting a wee bit too big for me I've managed up until now I've just literally just text people like I've got this big job commercial jobs are the the best jobs to get but also the hardest in terms of financing and also known legalities because I'm not from that world I'm just figure out have a conversation pick up the pick up the phone you can't really do that for big jobs but I've got a good circle of friends around me that I'll be like hey Pete I've got a commercial job does this sound about right and he goes no add 10 zeros to that and you're there (laughs) but now I've started to employ smart I think that's the thing recognize your weaknesses and employ well I'd rather pay someone to do a good job than for me to do Mm -hmm. an okay job so it's learning and working out which Stephen is so great for that actually identifying where I need help yeah this is Alison, big I am bursting for a pee can I pee really quickly yeah I'm of trying to hold it for so long but I might actually wet the bed oh, sorry no it gave me a chance oh, so to get better. hydrated because I feel like do I look red I feel really hot a wee just a wee bit on your chest the hormones. <laughs> so you and I have an idea for birth preparation that we shouldn't share because it's a million-dollar idea. Yes. Without talking about that, can you share a little bit about um, how you prepared for birth? And that could be 
physically, but that could also be spiritually, mentally, emotionally. Mm. I guess that's a bit of a selfish question as well because now it's like I'm interested in knowing how other women prepare. (laughs) Well, I think I actually just really enjoyed being pregnant and I absolutely loved it, that I just was determined that I could still do it all despite being pregnant. So I worked, I was actually working four jobs, four, three jobs, three or four jobs while I was like full pregnant. I was teaching and I was also studying my master's. So I done, um, I know that was insane. So I was like, I'm refusing to really resisted slowing down. And I actually deleted my thesis 24 hours before it was handed in and had to rewrite it. I stayed up till like four in the morning, fat pregnant, like, uh. um, but I pretty much neglected the mental side of things. I was just like, I can do it all. I've got this. And I always, obviously like, I felt amazing as well. So I was like, I am Wonder Woman. I've got this under control. But the physical side to pregnancy I think me and Steve are so open like we can chat about anything like to the point where if someone had heard us some of the conversations we had they'd be like mm, that's that's wrong <laughs> but I just don't think there's anything that you can't talk about and I think everyone just needs to be a wee bit more honest anyway so we were always very honest with how my body was gonna get a baby out of it so we it was I actually got gestational diabetes as well um whenever you get the test I think it's 28 weeks which is actually pretty late is it 28? 26 weeks, yeah. 26. So I got gestational diabetes, which I was absolutely devastated about. Um, because I actually class myself as quite a healthy person. Like I'm very cautious of what I eat. I don't eat like processed foods. Um I tried to stay as as active as I could through pregnancy, um, despite some horrific morning sickness or morning, noon, and night sickness. Um so <laughs> when I got gestational diabetes, it really like threw my health and like to the forefront I was it's a very hard thing to talk about in the way I want to talk about it because I don't want to be offensive but when it came to actually being in the consultation for like diabetes and in nutrition um when it comes to nutrition in the hospital nobody knows what they're fucking talking about I was honestly sitting I was like I wouldn't eat fucking half the shit on this I was like it's all crap we're telling you how much fucking cocoa pops you could eat how many chobani yogurts and I was just like are you serious you shouldn't be eating any of this shit you should be eating vegetables meat and like complex carbohydrates like what the hell is this list I was angry a lot I was like sitting and I looked around the room like why have I been like trying to be so cautious I'm, I do not believe this is only from my point of view this isn't judging anyone who chooses to do this it just that wasn't suiting me the minute people fall pregnant they're like I'm going to eat all the fucking shit that I do sorry I'm swearing a lot wouldn't normally no, eat like I'm going to smash macros I'm going to smash like I'm just going to eat crap and I'm like no my body for the first time in my life is a temple I am growing a baby I'm going to eat all I do try and eat organic anyway but I'm not eating any shit like I want everything that goes in my body to be the best possible source of nutrients to my child so the fact that I got that I was like are you kidding me so I think I had to be extremely strict I refused to go on insulin um I was like I just don't want any chemicals going in I just seen it as a chemical I know it's got been I know it's like life or death for some people but for me Mm. I was like I know I can control this and be like absolutely military around my food intake that I don't need to go on insulin so my readings can't go over a certain mine was 5.5 you couldn't go over a reading of 5.5 two hours after a meal more than three times or you'd have to go in and pretty much go on insulin so I set an alarm I honestly ate from alarm on my phone every two hours after eating I would have to do my bloods I couldn't eat anything I was on like just pure foods no sugar was actually worse than carbohydrates so absolutely no sugar 
and no carbohydrates so even things like that you think are healthy or a healthy option on menus like birch or muesli I just couldn't mm. have that there's too much sugar in it so I think that put my health number one so I actually ended up being the, the, the healthiest I've ever been in my life but we also started focusing on my body like how is it going to actually stretch because no mm-hmm. this is the thing I think it's really really important we are not taught about our bodies in school we're given a couple of sex ed classes where you're just like in a diagram um, here is a female body, they have sex, you know, like, what the fuck is sex? You figure that out on your own by talking to people, watching certain things, but you're definitely not taught about pregnancy, which is mm-hmm. it's huge. It's like the biggest thing your body's ever going to go through physically, mentally, it's going to change your whole life. And we literally have to work it out for ourselves. So I've watched about a million births. I love watching births. And everyone's like, oh, I couldn't watch that when I was pregnant. It's too too real. And I'm like, but you're going to have to fucking do it. I was like, I'm like, give it to me. Give yeah, me want, all of the realist all ones. I read. Yeah, I love, like, there's a woman birthing in a stream. There's one in the house. And I was like, I love seeing it. And I was actually convinced I wanted a water birth, but that got ruled out for diabetes. Um, so I was like, I watched everything I could. I was like, I want to know everything. I need to know what happens. Because there's also things I don't know if you were the same but going through pregnancy like you get pains and you're like what is this pain you're like it's totally normal it's like ligament stretching or this one's totally normal and you're like why don't they tell you any of this until it's too late and I keep thinking what would happen if I couldn't google oh I know literally you'd drive yourself up the wall well you'd have like a medical journal be like, oh, yeah. flicking through it. Um, but there's one thing that I think is really, I, I think I'm going a bit off topic, but I'm on a roll. Um, the one thing that I found out after I had an ectopic was that your fallopian tubes aren't fixed. And my, fr- my friend who teaches fucking biology didn't even know this. So it's not even taught. It's a relatively new thing, but it's not widely known or even considered. So I was actually freaking out. Um, obviously because I just lost the baby but at the start of my ultrasound they actually said it was in my uterus so I went from being pregnant to actually not being having been able to have kids within like 10 minutes but then the next day we found out it was actually outside the uterus which was the best news in the world but I was because if it was in the uterus what would that be like a hysterectomy yeah that would pretty much they'd have to remove it oh my god yeah it was horrific it was horrible um and anyway the next day I was really clinging on to this bloody fallopian tube so I think I've lost can't remember what I've lost I think I've I don't have my right one um that's the right no I don't have my left one so I was like when I had my ectopic they were like you can either lose a tube or you can take this methotroxy um chemotherapy drug and I was like I'm going for the drug 100% I'm saving that tube even though that the chance of having another ectopic because of the scar tissue is really really high um and this doctor came up and she the surgeon was like I'm really sorry but you're going for surgery right now I'm not letting you as a woman you're not leaving that in there any longer and you're not having it in there it's so dangerous thank god for her she literally like saved me on so many levels I'd actually just sent Stephen home I'd agreed to get the drug and she was like, I am begging you as a woman, please go and get this tube out now. We've cleared the theatre, we've cleared the rest of our schedule and within three seconds I was fully prepared for um, surgery and he managed to get back to the hospital as I was going in to the little halfway anaesthetist um, room. But she was like, she explained to me, she's like, that tube is useless. Um, you, you can't, it cannot be used again, but it doesn't even, because I thought, oh, my chance of having children is reduced by 50% now that I've only got one tube. And she's like, that's bullshit. 
your fallopian tubes are not fixed. They float. They're like basically little hands dancing. So they've got little fingers at the end of it, little tentacles. And actually, so I don't have my left tube. I ovulated from my from my left and my right tube. I think it was actually the vice versa. I ovulated from the other side and my, so I say ovulated from my left, my right hand tube reached over and grabbed the egg and took it into my womb. Oh, that's so fucking they, amazing. And nobody knows this. No. Nobody fucking knows this. So it's like, I imagine the amount of women who maybe have one fallopian tube now and they're like, oh my God, my chances are halved. I'm not going to be as fertile. It's fucking bullshit. Your fallopian tubes move and they dance. They like sway like We're little hands amazing. underwater. I know. But because I think the common thing of getting mixed up with that is because obviously in diagrams that you see in the medical journals, obviously it's a fixed, it's a, it's a 2D image mm. and it's, it can't move. So it's, I cannot believe it. It's, it's not known. So that blew my mind. But um, yeah, we are, we've we've spoke about stuff before and what, yeah. how I prepared. And I will say that you train your body for a marathon. You train it for, a, like, I'm just thinking today, like with PT, like people train their muscles to compete and lift heavy weights. Nobody trains their vagina for birthing a watermelon. Yeah. Like it has to stretch to 10 centimeters. And if it's never been stretched before, it was actually Steve. I can't even pretend that I was a genius in that. Steve's like, or should we not stretch it out if it's going to have to stretch to 10 centimetres? And I was like, oh my God, you're an actual genius. So like, you know. It's incredible. Like work out your vagina. Don't bother massaging your perineum. Yeah. You're <laughs> literally the reason why I've put so much of a focus on that part of the experience. I actually bought that, um, <clears throat> it's called an EpiNo. Is that the thing that you stands? Exactly, that you put in and you put in halfway and then you basically pump it up and you try and get it to 10 centimetres. Lots of people online were saying it was amazing, lots of people saying it didn't do anything and I just thought, well, whatever, it's like, you know, hundred. I think it was like 150 bucks and you start it like I think in your 36th week or something yeah. like that. So See, we done it early. We, I, we just worked up from... Obviously, after 12 weeks, when everything's a little bit more safe, we started, like, working on it then. And honestly, mm. like, I birthed uh, one of the biggest heads that the midwives had ever, never even delivered, ever seen, 38.5 centimetres, and it was the first question in my head. They hand, well, Stephen actually delivered James, and he put him on my chest, and the midwives are down there, and I was like, have I ripped? Is there any tears? And they're like, sweetheart, we're still getting the placenta out. And I was like, just pull it. Tell me if I've ripped. And they were like, holy shit, there's not even a nick. I did not rip, tear anything. And my recovery, like, I'm just going to go and say this on here. I've done things that you're not supposed to. I went in a public pool like a couple of days, but we actually had sex like about maybe a week after giving birth. I was like, I just wow. wanted to, I just wanted to get right back on that. And yeah. I was like, I'm so scared of what it's going to feel like. I don't want it to feel, I don't want, I think, because I spoke to my doctor about it I went and spoke to her and I was like listen we had sex we've had sex a few times now I just wanted to I just wanted to not associate because I think what what can happen is because obviously you went through something huge down there I didn't want to start associating it with pain yeah. so I didn't want to start putting things on it and being anxious towards actually having sex because that is a huge part of our relationship like 
it's, it's a huge part of anyone's relationship like intimacy is mm. massive especially after having a baby when your hormones are through the roof and need that connection and I was like nah I need to I need to get on this straight away and not start building up any anxieties or any like fixed thoughts of what something's going to be and she went you're absolutely fine to do that if you feel okay I know a lot of women don't have can't do it because of obviously stitches and stuff like that but mm. my well, some my someday my family went through a really horrific birth and had to get reconstruction, and she was told not to have sex for up to a year, and it's like that is huge. Wow, that's fucking massive. So I was yes. like, oh, no, I just want to make sure everything isn't inside out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what did you? Um, I will point people towards your the personal essay you wrote for Dear Dilate, which is a beautiful, a kind of emerging and establishing. Um, platform for mums, mm. subscription-based email right now. Um, I will point people there to go and read your birth story because it's beautiful and honest. What I would like to know is what did you learn about yourself in the birth? That I remember feeling like the strongest person in the world. And it's funny because I, um, if I'm nervous, I talk more and I, my body reacts and I'm probably the worst person to have in a situation that goes wrong because I panic, I talk, I'm loud, I'm all over the place. But when it came to the birth, I was so sure from, I, I just wanted it so much and I knew I could do it. I think I shut off from, I found the birthing scene in Melbourne really toxic um, mm. and there was a lot of voices coming at me there's a lot of things down here I don't, I don't know what it's like in Sydney but there, I felt very judged for I mean I I don't own this house I don't I mean I would love to have a home birth at one point but it's t- to me it's not the be all and end all the fact that I've got a child is the biggest thing for me the fact that I'm actually able to have a child and he's here is big enough for me that That's however it. I have him it's about my atmosphere and how I approach it it's not so much the surroundings and I found it um quite um judgmental when I because I went I went a few talks with Jolas and stuff um and they turn their nose up you get eye rolls and like like funny faces when you say you're having a hospital birth and you're like we're fucking privileged and women Mm. uh, there was a lot of negative quite damaging and toxic conversation around it the fact that um like you there's there's certain buzzwords that are used a lot that you're being robbed of your right as a woman mm. when you enter a hostel and you're not going to have the experience that you want. And I went, do you know what? Fuck you all. I've deleted them mm. all. I stopped looking at it. I was like, I don't want to talk to any of you. I only want to hear people's positive stories because I know what it's like. I don't know if you find the same thing, but everyone can't wait to tell you of their auntie's oh brother. Auntie's brother, well, they didn't their, their auntie's sister that had the worst birth ever. And you're like, yeah, I don't actually want to hear that. So I got to a point mm. when I was comfortable and strong in myself knowing that I've wanted this my whole life. It's not going to be easy. You're giving birth to a human. Mm. It's not, it's as good as you're going to make it. I think that in any situation, if you prepare yourself physically, mentally, obviously there's emergencies that happen and things don't go to plan. I totally acknowledge that. But I think I was so determined and I was like, I didn't even start fussing about the small things. Like I couldn't have a water birth and that's something I'd always really wanted. I've known since like, honestly, I was about 18 that I wanted a water birth. I was told I couldn't have that. And I went, right, I'll have a cry about it for about a day and then fucking move on. I'm like, okay, so fine. Um, I didn't. I wrote a birth plan, um, but I knew that it was completely flexible and I will go with the flow. I'll go with how I'm feeling and everything that I thought that I would want, I didn't. So I actually thought I was mm-hmm. going to give birth to Scott and I feel like gravity, I feel 
primal, like I'm going to want to squat, I'm going to want to be on a men's ball, all fours. I, I wanted to be on my back. I was tired. And I keep seeing this thing in, in birthing chats and there's all these things about the patriarchy. And I'm like, I know it's an important conversation. I'm not taking away from that. But I think it's actually doing more harm than good in certain points because it's like women are then feeling judged for wanting to lay down. Women are feeling judged for wanting to give birth in a hospital. You do you. And mm. I actually was like, oh, I don't want to lie down because everyone's telling me. It's like, well, a man's told you the original thing was done because a man told a woman to lie down. You're like, I actually made the decision myself to lie down because I was fucking exhausted. And I asked for the stirrups. Because I was like, mm. Stephen's helping me and he can't push me. I want to push with everything that I've got and I want to be on my back. It made sense for me. And I actually went completely in, internal. So I was really, mm. really quiet when I was in labour. Like, I really, I'm, I'm not a big meditator. I wish I was. I actually love the idea of meditating and I actually think it would do me a massive load of use. But, um, in labour, I went silent. I went. I was in. It was actually out our body experience. I actually remember looking down on myself. And Stephen was like, "You were in another world." He's like, "I've never seen you more determined, more focused, or stronger in your in the whole time I've known you." And he's known me since I was nineteen. Wow. And I went in, and I was quiet. And they actually had to like bring me out of it to ask me questions. They're like, "Right, right, we need you back in the room. Come back." And they told me like, I think I was. He was getting stuck coming round the bends. There's that. Like, bloody massive um he was getting mm. stuck coming around that little u-bend and i actually remember the obstetrician coming in the room in scrubs and i was like oh i was like don't like that but i was like at the same time they were like i think if we don't get him around this last little bit in the next couple of minutes like next couple of pushes we're gonna have to give you a hand and i went okay i went whatever to get him safely and my midwife crystal she was amazing she's like bob look at me look at me in the eye come out no you're not getting that you can do this we've got to get him around this bend he's she's Amazing. just like you have to do it so I just pushed Stephen's like it looked like your head was going to pop off but I kind of don't really remember anything because I was so in the zone I was I, I was completely focused on one thing and that was getting him out and I didn't put any like I remember at the start like I'm going to bring candles in I'm going to do a diffuser I'm going to bring blankets make the room my own I'm like I don't give a shit about this room like the only thing I'm yeah. focusing on is getting him out and that was it so you listen to the podcast, so you know I ask each of my guests a final question at the oh, end. God, I'm scared of this um, question. <laughs> <laughs> Offline exists as an explanation of self and who are we without all of the labels we put on ourselves and society puts on us. When you're sitting in your true self, who are you and what comes up for you when I ask that? Oh, shit, that's such a hard question. I think I have to take it from the point of what person do I want to be? because it's impossible to answer if not I think obviously aside of aspirations and career as a person I would really want to be known as kind I think it's one of the values that I really want to have in life I just think life there's so much noise that goes on I just really want to it's something that I, I hold myself for I always give people time and I just hope that I'm kind and I hope I'm seen as a kind person. I think that's really important to me. So aside from everything, like you can, can put all the labels on it. Obviously, I'd want to be known as an, a successful artist, but actually the, the root of it, kindness is huge for me. Mm. It's massive. That's so nice. I love people. I really do. And I hate to know that mm. anyone's going through a hard time. So I think if you know me personally, I just I really struggle with the weight of the world sometimes. 
And yeah. I just think I've got time. I've got time for everyone. Yeah. And that's what I felt from you, honestly. I know it's just been DMs, but it's interesting. A lot of the closest people to me, I haven't really felt their support. And again, that's not to say anything other than just we can't always meet people where they're at. Mm. People like you, I feel like you've been quite a key person for me, particularly in this Thank pregnancy. You. I've loved it. Yeah, I was just so excited when I found your out you were pregnant. And, yeah. I just feel like we know each other so much better than we do, if you know what I mean. Like we've actually know, only met in person totally. once, but yeah, I was so happy, honestly. I was like, I can't I think I actually cried and I was like, Stop being so <laughs> fucking pathetic. But I was like, I I just know how much it, it meant, you know you what I mean? Know. And I know how huge it is and like for you and to, I just I you know I don't even I've never met I actually have met Tony but I've never actually sat and had a conversation with him but I can actually tell how in love you guys are so it's it's just really mm. beautiful to know that you've created you're creating a little person a little person a little person well thank you for being on my podcast thank you I still can't believe you even want to be on it it's, it's, it's oh insane. please this has been amazing thank this you. is like exactly how I want season like the essence of season six is this it's like yeah. unbounded like we're sitting know, in the no living room having a cup of tea <laughs> exactly back to back to my roots so I appreciate you taking the time and sharing so honestly that's what I love about you I'm like you just tell it how it fucking is I tell it how it fucking is man I, I really struggle with trying to be an enigma I try and be like Kate Moss I'm like I should be more obscure <laughs> and mysterious and I'm like fuck I couldn't be mysterious if I put a bloody wizard's cape on I can do it <laughs> I just give everyone everything thank you for joining us for this episode of Offline visit getoffline.co to explore more episodes the online courses I've created to help you succeed consciously and upcoming community events. Follow getoffline.co on Instagram and me. My handle is Alison Larson Rice. Lastly, if you know someone who would benefit from hearing these honest conversations, please share offline with them. <laughs>